We are in Exodus chapter 4 today. We have been, been working our way through Exodus, and uh, in, in chapter 3 of Exodus is the story as we've been looking at the, at the burning bush. God shows up on the desert. Moses sees him in a bush that is not being consumed and, and has this experience with God and the burning bush. God makes this, this pronouncement. God begins to, to share with, uh, with Moses who he is and, and the call that he has placed on Moses' life. And Moses, uh, as we've been talking about these last couple of weeks, Moses hears that call. He sees this unbelievable, unrivaled, personal, holy, living, saving God, as we've shared, sees him, hears him, is called by him, and Moses starts his excuses with, who am I to get this call? And Moses begins this whole process of of self-examination, of looking inside himself, of trying to figure out who he is and why he's being called and, and how he can really get out of it is what he's trying to do. And God, throughout this whole process, continues two things. He continues to call Moses, and he continues to tell Moses, I'm calling you, but it's all about me, not about you. Moses says, who am I? And God responds, I will be with you. Moses says, who who can I say that you are? What's your name? Who sends me to the people? And God responds, I am who I am. Moses says, they aren't going to believe me. If I go, they're not going to believe that you have called me. And God says, here's the proof. I'll show you the staff, the leprous hand, the, leprous hand, the, the Nile, bucket of Nile water that turns into blood. God wants to prove to Moses and to the Israelites, and we'll see here in chapter 4, to Pharaoh himself, that it's all about God Moses continues with his, with his excuses. He says, I, I'm slow of speech. I, I'm, I'm afraid is really what he's saying. I'm, I'm afraid to do this. I'm afraid to respond to this call, God. I, I, I have a, I'm not very eloquent in the way that I speak. And God says, who made your mouth? And I will be with you. I will be with your mouth, God specifically says. Every single thing that you can think of, Moses, I'm there. I can be with you. I am with you. And finally, Moses, after he's been throwing out these excuses, Moses finally just comes and says, oh, Lord, please just send another. I don't want to go. I don't want to do what you've called me to do. Just send someone else. And it says in that moment that the Lord's anger was kindled against Moses, that Moses was, was unwilling to do what God had called him to do, that Moses was not willing to do his part, and his anger is kindled. But even in the midst of that, even in that moment of God's anger being kindled up against Moses, he is gracious and merciful to Moses. He says, I've already called your brother. Your brother is going to come, and he is going to come, and he will speak. You will share with him the things that I have shared with you, and he will share those things then as you get into Egypt. Aaron will be your helper. Even as the Lord's anger was kindled against Moses, he had called for another to come and to help and to rescue. I told you last week that this won't be the last time, and we've said this every time, that we've walked through these passages in Exodus, but this will not be the last time that God calls someone else 
to come. There is someone else that God calls who is closer than a brother, someone else who walks alongside of us, someone else who speaks on our behalf, someone else who completes the work that we couldn't do. Someone else, when it comes right down to the very end, as I shared with one of you last week, when it comes right down to the very end, does not look forward to the task that God has called him to, and in fact even says, if there's any way, if there's any way for you to take this cup from me, if there's any way for me not to do what you've called me to do, let's find another way. But then instead of saying, oh, just send someone else, he says, but if it's your will, your will be done. God calls for another, and he has also sent the Spirit to enable and to strengthen and to encourage us to do the work that he has called us to do. Moses is called by God in Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4, and he does not respond in the way that we would hope that he would respond, but he does respond in the way that we probably would respond. Who am I? And just send someone else. We want to conclude this part of the story today here in in Exodus chapter 4 as we head back to Egypt. We have just a little bit here before we jump into our Advent season Moses is now headed back to Egypt here at the end of chapter 4, beginning in verse uh, 18. Moses has to, he's, he, remember, Moses was, was out on the, on the desert with the flock of sheep. He was, he was shepherding the sheep as he met God at this burning bush. And so Moses brings the flock back to Jethro and begins to prepare himself to go to Egypt. So that's where we're going to pick up the story. If you're in, in Exodus chapter 4, It's verse 18. It'll be on the screen this morning. I'd encourage you to follow along as we read in in Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I had put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place, on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness and meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all of the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. 
Moses brings the flock back to Jethro and says, I'm going to go. I want to go back to visit my brothers in Egypt and to see if they are still alive. Right away, Moses has had this experience. We've already seen how timid Moses is in it. We've already seen how selfish Moses is in it. We've already seen that Moses is so exasperated, he finally just says, send somebody else to go in my place. And now we see he comes back, he meets with Jethro, he brings the flock back to Jethro and says to Jethro, I just met with God and had this burning bush experience out on the planet, and he commanded me to go and to lead the people. No, he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't do any of that. He says, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they're still alive. Even here, even here, Moses is still showing us that he is not quite all in on this call that God has put on his life. He is not quite all in. He's not sure if he believes. Moses Moses is entering into this call much like several of us enter into the pool. We step on the steps on the shallow end, just barely getting in, slowly but surely, just testing out the water to see how warm it is and to see if we really do want to get all in. Moses is pretty timid and does not want to jump in completely. And we can understand that, right? You and I do the same thing. It's not just jumping into the water or or slowly walking into the water. We do this all the time. We We want to begin some kind of exercise or diet plan, but we don't tell anybody because we're not sure it's gonna take. And we're not sure we wanna really commit to it. And so we just quietly do it a little bit or maybe we even suggest to someone that we maybe are going to start something, but we don't jump all in. That's Moses. Moses comes to Jethro and says, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they're even still alive. He knows. He knows they're alive. God has already told him that they're alive. God has already called him to go to the people in Egypt, to the Hebrews, the Israelites in Egypt, to go and to bring them out. But Moses is slowly walking in. I don't think that was the plan. God had for him. I don't think that was the desire that God had for Moses was to slowly, timidly walk in. I think the hope that God had for Moses, I think the hope that he has for us as he calls us is to jump wholeheartedly into the deep end, off the diving board, not to timidly walk in. I think he wants us to do it not like we would start a diet or an exercise plan, but I think God, when God calls us, he expects us to jump in much like you do when you get a puppy. There's no kind of getting a puppy. There's no maybe I'll start to get a puppy. You get a puppy and you have a puppy. And it's all consuming as you have a puppy. I think that's, I think that's the call that God gives to us. And he says, jump all in. In fact, that's the picture that's painted over and over in Scripture. You once were dead, but now you're alive. It was dark, and now it's light. You were blind, but now you see. You were lame, but now you walk. There's no kind of in there. You jump all in. You are changed. You were dead, but now you are alive. That's the call that God puts on our life. That's the call I think he gave to Moses. And yet Moses just continues to amaze us with how timidly, how slowly he responds to God. Who am I, Moses said, 
And God said, I am with you. I will be with you. When Moses talks about his mouth, he says, I will be with your mouth. God says, don't you, there's no excuses. There's no reason to timidly enter into the pool, but jump all in. Moses says to Jethro, I want to go back. Jethro says to go ahead and go in peace. And then we have kind of a, a, a back flash, maybe, of, of what God had already said to Moses and Midian. God had said, go back to Egypt, for all of the men who were seeking your life are dead. Moses has confirmation. Remember, when Moses left, he left Egypt because Pharaoh was, was searching for him because he had killed an Egyptian because he had sided on the side of the Hebrew slaves instead of on the Egyptian authorities. And so Pharaoh was looking for him and Moses ran for his life. He was a wanted man. And now God says, it's okay. The people who were wanting your life are dead. There's a, there's a new regime. It's been 40 years There's a new Pharaoh that's in charge. There's a new group that's there. And the men who are seeking your life are dead. And it seems like Moses in this moment would take comfort. He's no longer a wanted man. Any any excuse that he could come up with, any, any fear that he still has, has now all been put aside. Moses has been called by God. He's been given a directive. He's he's even obeying. He's following through with exactly what God has called him to do. He's safe in walking along with God. So Moses takes his family and he puts his family on the donkey and he heads back to the land of Egypt. And notice, this was an interesting thing. I want you to notice this in in verse 20. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Just a few days ago, this was a wooden stick that Moses was using to point the sheep around as he was leading the sheep. And now, now it's the staff of God. Everything has changed for Moses. This call has gone out. Moses has seen, has seen this wooden stick turn into a serpent and turn back into a wooden stick. And he knows that the staff of God is in his hand. It says in verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh. This is a new thing for us. If you remember back in chapter 3, these signs that, that Moses had been given by God, the, the staff turning into a snake, the, the leprous hand that he put inside his, his cloak, the, the, even the blood that turns to Nile, these were things that were to be done before the, the elders of the Israelites, before the Hebrew people. When, when Moses, Moses first came to God and said, they're not going to believe, the Hebrews are not going to believe that you have sent me, God. And so God says, here's the signs that you're to use to convince the Israelites, to convince the Hebrew people that I have, in fact, called you. And now we see that not only is Moses to perform an Aaron but Moses and Aaron to perform these signs so that the Israelites will believe, but these are also the signs that he's going to use before Pharaoh. Do these things before Pharaoh, all of the miracles that I have put into your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart is something that we'll talk about and deal with a number of times as we walk through the story of Exodus. 20 different times in the story of Exodus, It talks about Pharaoh's heart and it's being hardened. Sometimes Pharaoh himself, it says, hardens his own heart. Sometimes, like this passage here, it says that God hardens the heart of Pharaoh. And sometimes it just tells us that Pharaoh's heart itself 
is hard. We've already seen, if you remember back in, in chapter 3, verse 19, we've already seen that Pharaoh is, is predisposed to not letting the Hebrews go. Already, when, when God in the burning bush shows up and begins to visit with Moses, he says in verse 19 of chapter 3, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So, I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. Pharaoh, Pharaoh is not going to capitulate very easily. Pharaoh is not going to give in as Moses appears on the scene as we find out in chapter five when he confronts Mo, or Pharaoh for the first time. Pharaoh is not going to give in right away to Moses. It's not gonna give in to the plan that Moses brings before him. He's already, he's already predisposed to that. He already, he already has a heart that's hardened towards letting the Hebrew people go. That's his own desire, and yet it also appears that that's God's desire as well. That's why Moses, as he writes this book of Exodus, as the author of Exodus, that's why Moses uses these phrases of Pharaoh hardening his heart and God hardening Pharaoh's heart. He uses those interchangeably. It doesn't make much difference to Moses that, that Pharaoh sets his heart against the Hebrews or that God directs Pharaoh's heart against the Hebrews. Both are entirely true. For Moses, the purpose of both is clear, whether it's Pharaoh that hardens his heart and at times does, or whether it's God who hardens Pharaoh's heart and at times does. The ultimate goal is clear, the miraculous exodus, the miraculous exodus of the people of Israel to come out of Egypt was not to be about Pharaoh, was not to be about Moses. It was to all be about God. And so God orchestrates and directs all things so that his glory might ring out in the grandest and greatest way. So we continue on there in Exodus chapter four. I will harden his heart and he will not let the people go. And then he says this, then you shall say to Pharaoh, catch this. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. We kind of buzz through that. We're, we're familiar with the idea of, of us being called children of God. We're familiar with the idea that that God has, has chosen us and that we are, are the, the bride of Christ, that the church is the bride of Christ. We're familiar with that idea. But until now, as you've read through the Old Testament, until now we have not seen this. Israel is my firstborn son. This is the first time that we begin to see this relationship. One commentator says it this way. He says, this is not simply a story of emancipation. It's not just the story of the release of the slaves, but it's also the story of repatriation, the return of an only son to his father's loving care. Israel is my firstborn son. In fact, later in the prophets, in Hosea chapter 11, when the prophets begin to share and God reflects upon the Exodus and reflects upon bringing the Hebrew, the Israelite people out of Egypt. In Hosea chapter 11, it says, 
this when Israel was a child. I loved him, God says, and out of Egypt I called my son. That's the same verse, that Hebrew 11 verse 1, that Matthew uses in the New Testament when he references Joseph and Mary bringing their baby Jesus, their young son Jesus, who had had run off to Egypt, hidden in Egypt, while he was escaping Herod's plan to have all of the baby boys murdered. When, When Joseph and Mary and Jesus come back from Egypt, Matthew uses this same verse, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, out of Egypt I called my son. This picture is painted over and over. And it's been painted so many times that we're familiar with it. We, 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 we're used to it. And yet it's a big deal. Israel is my firstborn son. And I've called him so that he may serve me. We've already talked about that passage a couple of different times. Moses, Pharaoh wanted the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, to, to work for him, to serve him. And that same work word that we saw back in chapter one is the same word that we see here in chapter four, that he has called us out so that we might work, so that we might serve, so that we might worship. God has called his people not just so that they might serve him, but so that they might worship him. God is saving his sons from slavery so that they might serve and worship him and only him. As we continue on here in Exodus chapter 4, we come to one of the more confusing passages in Exodus, maybe in much of the Old Testament. Moses, as we said already, Moses is told by God, all the men who are seeking your life are dead Moses is, is safe. He's not a wanted man anymore. He's able to travel back to Egypt. He's been called to travel back to Egypt. He's responded, albeit reluctantly. Moses has responded to the call that God has given him. He's packed up his family. He's grabbed his staff. He's put them on the donkey. He's headed off to Egypt. He's been told all of the people that want him are dead. He's packed up. He's doing what God has called him to do. It's taken him a while but he's doing what God has called him to do. Moses is finally safe. He's finally doing what he's supposed to do. Is there any safer place than to be exactly in the will of God, doing exactly what you've been called to do? I wouldn't think so. And yet, here in verse 24, we find out that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. The Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Here in this place when Moses finally, finally gets on board, finally begins to do what God has called him to do, that on the way to do exactly what he was supposed to do, God comes and meets him and seeks to put him to death. There's a whole lot that we don't know. There's a lot that we don't know and cannot really totally understand about this passage. But we do know We do know a few things. We know that God, it shows in this passage, takes covenant keeping very seriously. He takes covenant keeping very seriously. It's apparent from what we begin to understand in this is that that Moses 
has not fulfilled the covenant that we saw in Genesis chapter 17 that was on the screen earlier this morning. This covenant that God made between himself and Abraham. He, he made this covenant between them and said, this, the, your part, Abraham, if you remember this, your part, Abraham, as you walk through this is to circumcise your sons as a seal of the covenant, as a marker of the covenant, as a, as a sign of the covenant. And it's to continue on through generations. And it's apparent that Moses has not done that. Moses has not fulfilled that part of the covenant in his own family. And there could be all kinds of reasons. We don't, we don't know all of the reasons why this maybe is the case. He wasn't, he wasn't with his, his, his Hebrew people as, he was, as his sons were born. His wife probably, though, though it appears that, that Jethro even and, and his wife Zipporah, that they have some kind of understanding of God, maybe even are God-fearing, but, but also may not have understood or even known of the covenant that comes in Genesis chapter 17. We, we don't know. We don't know all the reasons, but we know that God is serious about it. Not only does God come, but he comes, meets with him, and seeks to put him to death. One commentator said this. I, I, I loved this. He says, Moses can argue and pout and whine and even hold his breath about going to Egypt, and God deals patiently with him. But circumcision is a whole nother matter. Failure to circumcise meets with swift punishment. God, God takes covenant keeping seriously. And circumcision, circumcision is, this, is, is the seal, it's a significant seal, it's the seal for God's people all through the Old Testament. In fact, in just a little bit, in Exodus chapter 12, when we get into the Passover, there's a significant portion of that text that's dedicated to the circumcision. Circumcision is the seal of God's people all through the Old Testament, all the way into the New Testament until you get to the story in, in Acts and Galatians. As we walked through that, we spent a lot of time on that. There's, there's the, the story in Acts and Galatians where, where now salvation has come to the Gentiles and Paul makes an argument in Galatians to say it's no longer about circumcision. Circumcision is no longer the seal of God, but now there's this mark of transformation by belief in the Son and the work of the Holy Spirit. That becomes the seal. The shedding of blood was needed for redemption. We see that here in Exodus. And we know that the final, the complete, the whole shedding of blood that was needed for the whole work of God was completed in the sacrifice of Jesus. We don't know for sure all of the details about this, but what we can read here, what we know here is that somehow, somehow God meets with Moses. We don't know whether it's some kind of sickness that comes down on him in this moment and, and, and he becomes deathly ill. We don't know. Maybe it's the, the wrestling of an angel, much like, like Jacob would have had. Even as Jacob responded to God's call back in Genesis, Jacob responds to God's call, and then all of a sudden there's a, an angel that wrestles with Jacob through the night. We don't know exactly what it looks like here. We don't know what it looks like for God to meet him and seek to put him to death. What we do know is that Zipporah knew 
why God had come, why he was seeking to put him to death. And Zipporah quickly comes. She circumcises her son, doing what Moses had failed to do, and touches Moses' feet with that foreskin, saying, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Zipporah's quick response, her quick thinking comes to the rescue and she completes the circumcision that Moses had failed to fulfill. And once again, four chapters into the story of Exodus, and once again, the hero of the story is another woman. Pua, Shapura, we already saw the midwives who saved the Hebrew babies. Jacobet and Miriam, Moses' mother and sister who, who orchestrated and planned the, the, the saving basket ark that they put into the Nile River. Pharaoh's daughter who pulls the baby out as he cries and brings, her, brings Moses into her home. Now here Zipporah is the one who rescues Moses and makes a way for God's plan to come to fruition. Zipporah is the latest in the list of the females who make a part. God uses all kinds of people to fulfill and to point to his glory. Moses continues on after being rescued by Zipporah's quick work in the circumcision and God leaving Moses at that point, Moses then continues on and meets finally with Aaron who has come back to the mountain where Moses met with God and where later the Israelites will also meet with God at the Mount Sinai area there. Aaron and Moses meet and they begin to walk through what's going to happen. Moses shares with Aaron the things that have happened and what he's been called, the signs that he's been given. And Moses and Aaron wander in to Egypt to meet to meet with the elders. All of this buildup has come. Moses has, Moses has been making all of these excuses. What, you know, they're, they're not going to believe me. They're not gonna, I'm not going to have a name to share when I get there. They're, they're going to say, who sent you? Who made you the prince of all of the Israelites or all of the Hebrews? Who, who called you? He's, he's made up all of these excuses. And so we're all primed to see Moses is going to show up and all these people are going to be upset and they're going, to, they're going to come against Moses like they did early on 40 years ago as Moses tried to rescue the Hebrews in his own strength. And when he comes to the elders, that's not what we see at all. In fact, as you read through it, it says in verse 29, then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and he did the signs in the sight of the people. And the next line you would think would be about all the questions, all of the wondering, all of the what abouts, what fors. But instead, in verse 31, it says this, and the people believed. They heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction and they bowed their heads and they worshiped. Rescue, rescue had come to the Hebrews. Rescue had come to the Israelite people. Rescue had come to the firstborn son. And their response was to worship. Our worship team is gonna come and help us as we close the service today. Moses' fears 
never came to fruition. All of those things that Moses was nervous about, at least with the elders, it will change as we jump into chapter 5 and see what happens with Pharaoh. But Moses' fears, at least with the elders of the Israelite people, never came to fruition. Moses is, is finally in the place that God has called him to. He's finally gone to the place that God has directed him to. He's finally ready to be God's spokesman, or at least ready to help Aaron be God's spokesman. Moses is finally in the place, and the people gather together and they bow their heads and worship. That's really the only response that they can have. It's the only response that we have when we see that God had visited, that God had paid attention would be the idea of that word. That God has visited, that God has seen our affliction and God has provided a rescue and a redemption for us. We know that rescue and redemption comes through Jesus. And so we rejoice and we hope in him today. Stand with me, would you, as we worship together. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee take my voice and let me sing always only for my king take my lips and let them be filled with silver and my gold not a mite would I withhold take my intellect and use every power as you choose here am
today comes from Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Thank you for coming this morning.